Welcome to One of 200, the independent politics and media podcast. I've got Bronco and Philip in the co-host seats with me today, and we're joined Hello. by Dr. Amy Simpson, sociologist who works with health and something. Discourse analysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi, Kira. Hey, thanks a so much for coming along. seamless introduction. Hello. As, as always, I'm one of two. I'm glad yeah. we spent all that time nailing down how to introduce Amy. Otherwise, that could have been quite clunky, Kyle. Well, yeah, I know. Would have been what quite I'm embarrassing for me, really. Usually, yeah. usually Kyle is the like professional uh, half of the show, and yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm. It makes me feel better uh, to to see him have, have have made a a misstep of the likes that I would have done. It's usually, yeah, I'm, it's usually I've, Bronco I and I starting the cast going, what are we called again? Like, how do we introduce this? What are we talking like, about? Oh, should I say my name or just... We've only done 200 episodes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we we'll get it right at 400. Me, that's, that's what we're counting down to. When we now get to 400 uh, episodes, we'll get it right. Now everyone's at ease uh, through my uh, strategies. Um, <laughs> calculated <laughs> imperfections. <laughs> we wanted to talk today around the the COVID response, some of the media around it. Uh, Over the last two weeks, we have seen what I'm pretty comfortable calling a departure from the professionalism and the clarity of Labour and Ardern's communication over the last 18 months. And I think it's been really apparent apparent to the public, uh, more so than it ever has been. I think the media has always wanted to you know, jump in and and find cracks in the in the armor of Labour's response. But this is the first time I feel like they've had more than just a passing point. Um, that all kind of stems from the move down to level three a, a couple of weeks ago. A lot of people were pretty unhappy about that, uh, including us here uh, at one of two hundred. We we just previously, um, I think, a few days before, had a People's Epidemic Response Committee where everyone was saying we need to keep it at level four for our our most at risk communities. Um, and Dr. Rawiri Jansen had said this is especially the case for hard to reach groups among Maori, uh, especially in more rural areas who just didn't have the vaccine as accessible and, and that communication and the relationship with the Ministry of Health and the Crown uh, had, had not existed. So we had this move on the Monday to level three and people just didn't know what the new rules were. It felt like the level system had gone out the window. It felt like a lot of the clarity had gone out the window. And rather than business uh, interests supporting the government uh, after calling for these level reductions for, you know, 18 months, they just decided to go all in and say, why aren't we at level two already? So Labour was immediately in the space where no one was supporting them going to level three and no one was supporting them um, sticking to level three. And they kind of floundered for for a couple of weeks. It's been interesting, eh? It's been real interesting. Um, I was just like thinking back to that Monday. I was just so like surprised. And right from the word go, I could kind of tell that it was going somewhere that I wasn't going to like, Um, which has just been interesting, like looking at it, like compared to how we've dealt with level changes in the past, um, the way that those sorts of decisions have been teed up uh, in those briefings. and yeah, it was just uh, it was just so bizarre. That's a you know professional opinion. It was bizarre. <laughs> yeah, no, it was for sure. Uh, I think that you can disentangle the the move down to level three from the more recent kind of intra level three. Though I'm sure we'll talk about the like roadmap out of level three that uh, they've been talking about for the last or since the since the fateful fateful conf- day of confusion that we had. Um, yeah, because the at least the move down to level three initially, whilst it didn't seem in keeping with the health advice that we'd previously been relying on, like if you go to the um, COVID-19 website, government website, and it has those kind of parameters of this is when we'll be in level three, this is when we'll be in level four. Um, 
at the time I went there and just double checked that we were still following the kind of guidelines that we had before in terms of, you know, uh, untracked in the community, how much is there in the community kind of thing. And it is kind of a spectrum. You can, you can go, well, you know, what does significant at risk uh, spread in the community mean? Stuff like this, like it is, it is on a, on a spectrum, but it definitely hadn't been the case before that we'd gone down a level whilst that level of kind of, I guess, uh, spectrum uncertainty existed to that extent. But I think that it was internally consistent, at least with the way they were messaging. And then the really the, the introducing the new roadmap out of the blue with no kind of forewarning or explanation of what this kind of intra-level three levels would be, 3.1, 3.2, 3.3, or however you want to phrase it. That was really, I think, where the shit show kicked off because it was just, now this is an entirely new thing. Like level three doesn't mean level three anymore. They're happy to say that because part of level three as, a, as like a construct is all of these rules. And now half of these rules are out the window. You can meet people within certain parameters. You can do this, you can do that. What's level 3.1 versus what's level 3.2 kind of thing. And then even the dates that they had kind of tentatively announced to decide on future movements on this quote unquote roadmap were just so fuzzy. Almost no one knew exactly what the rules were. Like there were people you'd ask things and then and they'd go, oh, I don't really know about that. And it's just, everyone sort of had some idea of what level two, three, four was, right? That was clear enough. And then it just shows the value of that consistent messaging that we'd taken for granted for 18 months. And it really underlined the speed at which that information vacuum just opens up uh, and allows all kinds of stuff to just start flying around. And we talked about this even last year and the advent of conspiracy theory and advance NZ and, and groups like that because of significant gaps in the messaging and the communication. You know, X and Y were really clear, but these other things weren't so much. And until messaging developed around those things, there was space for maybe not full-on conspiracy, but doubt and, and confusion to reign. And it feels like that's exactly what happened this time as well. And it wasn't helped by the fact that during that standout, there were just a, really, a couple of really good, I don't usually say this, but a couple of really good uh, questions from the gallery, which made Ardern and Bloomfield double take. Um, so around using bathrooms, if you're going around for a, a meeting on the front yard, like I've chosen picnic as the, as the exemplar of something you're allowed to do without thinking about the run-on effects of that. And that was immediately very clear. Um, yeah, and I mean, that's the, most, that's the most obvious thing, right? The, she's literally, Jacinda Ardern literally said, go and have a beer in a, in a park with someone. That's illegal. Like drinking in public in a lot of places in New Zealand isn't, isn't a legal thing to do. And then what are you, are you going to, also be pissing behind a bush that's also illegal like what what is she directing people to do it's bizarre well, like, maybe i'm a <laughs> if we're rewriting really all the laws let's start somewhere else though there were like certain aspects of, of the new zealand lockdown that you know individual bits of it that you could say that like you know i thought maybe were, were maybe a little bit overboard uh or, or unnecessary but they made sense in the sense of from the very beginning, this is kind of what people held to, and they kind of they had this familiarity with it, it had this consistency. And so it's interesting that you know what happens now is that even if you know you can say you make changes for very rational reasons, or maybe the science has changed, but for a lot of people, what that sounds like is that the government, that the people in charge do not know what they're doing. And when that happens, it's kind of like the economy. The economy runs as long as people have kind of confidence in it. It's kind of absurd, but that is the, the 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 reality we've constructed for ourselves. As long as we believe that this thing that 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 uh, underlines uh, modern life actually operates in a sane and logical way, it can keep sort of functioning in some way that seems to to make sense. Once a lack of confidence starts to creep in, then people start to question it, and and there's less trust. And and this entire enterprise of dealing with COVID depends on trust and so when the communication falls apart um i you know trust starts to fall apart and i'm sure you can tell us a little more about about that uh, amy uh, about what exactly it is what role 
accurate, consistent, uh, competent sound of communication has when you're doing something like this, dealing with such a massive emergency as the, the pandemic is? Yeah, it's funny. <clears throat> I was thinking as soon as you said about like the sort of the uh, that so the the comms the comms aspect of it, right? And and that there is a real sort of science to that to making sure that what what you communicate, like it's that sort of two way exchange, right? Like that you can say something, and then whether or not that other the other person or whoever is listening to you picks up exactly what you're saying all depends on like the kinds of language that you use, and sometimes it means like deliberately using familiar terms just so that the public gets it like and I think that that's something that we saw last year so there was a paper that came out um last year from uh Alex Beatty and Rebecca Priestley I think it's on an open access journal so you can go and find it later if you want of course I'm coming with sources Jesus wept um <laughs> but there's um there was, in this paper they were talking about like sort of the communication strategy from last year. And one of the things that they pointed out was that um, everything that they, that they did, they set themselves up as being like sort of science-based and that all of their communications team and strategy as well was all like sort of psych backed and like science and evidence-based as well. So they came, they came out like really, really strong in terms of like, this is the end goal that you want, like, over here on the left and then like to get to that then we need to do these kinds of things so it's all around like sort of clear messaging and using these sorts of easy to grasp things which is I think what they were trying to do with the picnic but I just it just I think it just didn't I don't know what they could have said in in place of that to be honest but it seemed really unfeasible like in theory, it sounded quite practical, but as soon as you put it out into the real world where people have to deal with it in their lives, then it just starts falling apart. You know, you have the bathroom issue, you have the what can you consume, but then also like as soon as you talk about like families, because honestly, that's probably one of the biggest drivers I would say is like parents just wanting like some socialization for their kids and just to see another adult that they don't live with. Like, you know, I, I remember we got, groceries delivered like three weeks in and socially distanced the delivery guy just stood and talked to us for like 10 minutes because we were the only adult that he'd spoken to <laughs> in several weeks like so I get that and I get that that's like a good goal to work towards but how do you then you know make sure that children who are our biggest sort of vulnerable unvaccinated population like how do you ensure that they are following all of those rules, because that's not necessarily, depending on their age, is not necessarily going to make sense to them. And they also have like sort of fears around like bubble bursting and all of that sort of stuff. So it's just like, I understand the kind of the, the goal of it, but like the practicalities of it, like beyond sort of just like, where do you go to the bathroom and like, what can you actually do? Like who can actually do that? Like legitimately. Mm. Like, who is that actually a feasible plan for? And if it's not, like, broadly a feasible plan, then what you're going to find is that people are just going to break the rules. Mm. Um, it starts to get into territory that we saw uh, in other countries, especially the United States, where uh, when you don't have consistent public health messaging, um, people start to, to think, not all people, but a, a segment of the population goes, well, hold on, this is all bullshit because they said this other thing just before and they said this was absolutely unacceptable. Now they're saying it's actually fine. They're just making this up as they go along and they have no idea what they're doing. And, and maybe that means maybe a whole bunch of behaviors that I've been uh, you know, avoiding doing are actually okay. Um, and I, I mean, hopefully, you know, I don't think New Zealand's gonna necessarily go the, the extremes that the US has. But there is that potential for people to start basically making up their their own rules, um, as you say, Carl, in sort of a vacuum of of kind of uh, clear guidance. And we've already seen that to some extent, although I don't think harmfully. Um, and you, you see a lot of discourse about this on on social media um, around when do you wear a mask, because it's not super clear. Um, like you, you can wear no mask outdoors. Uh, like if there are no people around, it's a well-ventilated area that's meant to be pretty safe. 
Uh, and it's why they gave the example of meetings outside as being something that could happen under level three. But then you'll see lots of people saying, I'm seeing no one wearing masks in the park. Yeah, I mean, as far as the guidelines go, that's okay. Um, or, and then you'll see, oh, everyone's wearing masks at the supermarket. Okay, great. That's good because that's inside. But it feels like there might be a lot of people who are, are following the rules too hard um, or not following the rules only because the specifics of the rules aren't clear. And, you know, I, I think it's mostly okay and it's, it hasn't been harmful, but it doesn't take much to tip it into, you know, a, a place where it is um, without a bit more clarity, especially if people are starting to get upset or worried um, about other groups in, in their community um, because they have a different conception of what they're allowed to do and that that's trust and social cohesion starts to break down because as we've covered it a number of times already, that is one of the key reasons why any of this works in the first place. Um, and you're saying, Amy, that they've been talking about it um, in that in that paper from, from last year, uh, using quite communal language, um, kind of that all in it together um, team of five million stuff. You know, it's, it's stuff that makes sense to people. Team of five million is like a very New Zealand term, uh, you know, pulling in that uh, sporting background or, or whichever. And that clicked for a lot of people. And when people think that parts of their community aren't on that team or aren't pulling their weight on that team, that's when cracks start to uh, become more apparent. I think hopefully that's turned around this week. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. No, no, all I was just going to say is that I, it's one of those things where I think there's something to be said too about the fact that we have had such great comms up until now <laughs> and that, you know, maybe that's part of it is that like it hasn't, it hasn't fallen off the wagon yet um, and that we just had this sort of huge kind of what felt like a real blip in terms of that strategy. Um, and so I think for a lot of people too, there, there was this sort of like, what it, what it, what is going on? Like, you know, the standard has been set as to like, this is what to expect out of us. But then as well, like part of that whole thing is about like, you know, the reason that people are willing to sacrifice the things that they sacrifice under level four is that there's sort of a, a shared value that has been established around like, well, we collectively agree that elimination is the way to go. We collectively agree and ascribe to these kinds of values socially that are associated with this, which is why people will adhere to those things. And I think because there was, a, you know, increasing concern across um, you know, across that time around, well, we're clearly going back to level four. Like that was sort of the, the, the conversation well it was fun two weeks but like get back inside people like that kind of a vibe but then um it wasn't it was like oh actually you know not only are we staying in level three this is our way out of it and I think that as well was um you know because like level four has been trending online as well too so I think that that's that's something too about like that sort of it was a misstep in terms of, or like a kind of violation of what they, what we perceive as being those, those shared values, which as you say, uh, Branco is like about that, that trust, right? Like that's part of what builds that trust is that, oh, we all share these kind of collective beliefs around what should happen. And we don't want to be like those people. And I'm gesturing, <laughs> you know, to, to overseas, you know, we don't want to be like plague islands, A through F, you know, <laughs> Well, that, that is a good point. I, I mean, I think that's probably why uh, COVID in other countries has become such a culture war thing, because probably the most effective way to uh, get people to do uh, all of this stuff, all the, all the various restrictions, is obviously you can legally mandate it, but the more effective thing is to get the social buy-in and for people to kind of see it. As, and, and, you know, I, having kind of seen COVID in, in both New Zealand and the US, it, it's interesting that in both places there's these various kind of different cultural identities that have been created around you know in the us you have the the liberal side liberal americans who have like created a, a 
culture, cultural identity around following the COVID rules, um, and sometimes even creating their own ones. <laughs> yeah, I really, and, and, I want to, I want to just jump in there because mm. some parts of that culture are really disgusting as well. Oh um, yeah, yeah, very so like, and, um, yeah like cheering when when people die of the disease kind of shit yeah or saying people who are unvaccinated shouldn't get medical treatment yeah horrible horrible and then yeah you have the conservative side which is we don't believe in any of that no masks no vaccines you know we we should it's it's basically just the flu and we should just go on about our lives but in in new zealand there's a very different thing that's been cultivated over the last year um year and a half which is, a, a, you know, the, this idea of we are the safest nation and we do these things that no one else is willing to do because it's provided us this level of freedom that, that no one else really has had. Um, and, I, you know, uh, there, there's a good question about whether it, it should have been taken out of, out of lockdown so quickly, out of the, the, the most strict lockdown. Um, but that's the way the government's gone. And now New Zealand's in this place where Kiwis have to suddenly kind of go through the growing pains that the rest of the world has has lived through in much worse ways um, and in much more reckless ways. And they're going to have to do it now in a very speedy timeline, unfortunately. If people are, you know, and I think this is where that confusion comes in. Where do I, when do I wear a mask? What can I actually do? You know, in a lot of these other countries, people are sort of making their own rules a lot of the time. Yes, there's legal mandates for certain things, but at the end of the day, people kind of decide for themselves, this is what I'm, comfortable doing this is what i will do and this is what i won't do and they kind of live uh, alongside that and i mean it's horrifying but it, you know it sounds like maybe new zealand's gonna have to go that way where people sort of have to kind of try and figure it out uh, for themselves which is very unlike the new zealand experience with COVID <laughs> until now i think well, one of the things i've noticed um a few weeks back now and i've i've made a lot of um on twitter is the sudden shift away from uh, what you're calling the New Zealand strategy, Bronco, um, to adopting some of the more US-centric uh, terminology, uh, even in stand-ups among, um, I, I think, both... I think you said both Bloomfield and Ardern um, had used this terminology, Amy, which was the pandemic of the unvaccinated, um, which is straight from US... Um, White House spokesperson, uh, Jim Psaki, um, straight from the Biden White House, and acted there as this massive wedge uh, between liberals and conservatives. It was a... This, this virus, it, it was a, a almost global move away from the virus as a problem to a the people are the problem uh, set of messaging. And... What we know about the situation there as well is when they were saying that they were aiming it at, you know, Republicans um, and and Trumpers, but for the most part in in Dem cities especially, it was poor black neighborhoods who were unvaccinated. Uh, and when I saw Ardern start to adopt that here, and Hipkins I think was another one who was using it quite a lot. Knowing what we did about Maori vaccination rates, it was just, it was an absolutely disgusting piece of uh, public relations strategy to have picked up out of nowhere as well. It just suddenly entered the, the lexicon. And the couple of weeks after that is where you saw this kind of fragmenting. And I think they've stopped using it now they're, they're still talking about the need to get vaccinated which is great like we, we want people to get vaccinated but there's less of this this really blame heavy language um and this individualized language happening now um yeah thoughts on that i guess yeah, I mean, uh, the stuff around like the unvaccinated, I think that, you know, we we're talking about team of 5 million before. And I think that one of the, it's, it's great messaging, right? Like, and that sort of idea around we're all in this together, like sort of solidarity kind of thing. But it's interesting how, and I don't know if this is just because we, we live in a neoliberal time that like those pockets of those pocket, it didn't take me long, right? Like so, <laughs> sociologists, I always find a ways. It's always something, something neoliberal. You're on the that, right podcast. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, so um, I don't know if it's because we live in a neoliberal time, probably, right? But like that teams exist in these sorts of vacuums, right? Where like it's sort of the like you're you are a team for a small amount of time like we're a team for this sort of like this one period and then we go back to being like you and me and like some other guy like that's sort of the way that it sort of works and so the the problem is is that when team when the team the solidarity uh idea isn't the norm then it becomes really easy for when people step out of line for that blame language to like snap right in right like and i think that um, you know, and, and we've seen this with like sort of other uh, other epidemics too. So like the my work my work previously is looks at like the obesity epidemic, right? And so that that sets up a like the fact that that's called like the war on obesity. Like you know, come on, like it's really sets up this sort of um, you know this this idea around like this is like a threat that we have to like really like crisis language the house, you know, around like sort of military and like that kind of thing. And then so, you know, the, the problem with that is that when we're in a when we're in a situation where we have like, yes, it is technically a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Right. Like because people who are unvac- unvaccinated are more at risk. But it's not like there's a different way of couching that. Right. So in a solidarity sense, it's like, OK, well, you might be talking about everybody who is eligible needs to get vaccinated so we can protect our vulnerable people. Like that would be a different way of messaging this the same statement effectively right it's that unvaccinated people are at risk but instead of saying like oh it's going to spread it's always finding unvaccinated people uh which is a thing that is still being said like we're seeing now that this virus just finds these people um which is a way of sort of saying like so you know come on like if you haven't had it done like it, it becomes this sort of like quite like borderline punitive like you know you know like parents would always be like come on everybody's waiting on you like that kind of <laughs> you know like tick tock yeah, come yeah. on put your shoes on like that sort of vibe um but, well it, it kind of um i think speaks to the the short termism the short term thinking of, of this government where it, funnily enough it's had a reputation as kind of a, a government that is looking beyond just what's in front of their noses and is kind of you know looking at the big picture taking the, the, the short-term pain for the long-term gain. Um, but, uh, you know, in my mind, if they had been really thinking long-term and they would have been looking at the, uh, the shortage of, of vaccines and how late they were coming in, which, you know, I, I don't know that much about the technical issues behind that, but from what I've read from people, you know, who, who have had to administer the vaccine rollout, They've had complaints about how that was done, but okay. Even if we grant that that was just out of their out of their power, they couldn't do anything about the, how slow the vaccine was rolling out. Okay, but you could have anticipated, um, especially having seen how things have gone in the rest of the world, and you know, at the very least, you could have done some some research on the ground in your own country that you're you're, you're governing. That that there would be some vaccine hesitancy. That which communities would be vaccine hesitant, and maybe this is an issue that that you would get ahead of. Uh, months in advance, so that if a if this variant that that we knew for months, I mean, I, I think the variant uh, Delta had had had, you know, it was it was around by the start of the year, and I think in the US it was like uh, the dominant strain, like March or April. So for months, you know, having watched this, New Zealand knew what was potentially coming. You could have done all the legwork to to try and attack some of that vaccine hesitancy. You know, it's great that they've recruited gang members to, to, to try and convince that, that part of the population that this is a good idea. But okay, why, why wasn't that happening earlier? You know, why, I, I read this uh, piece about how they convinced port workers to, to get rid of some of the vaccine hesitancy where they got experts to, to speak to them and answer all their questions and basically just put their minds at ease about this stuff. That's great. Well, okay, do that for the entire country. Go to like every part of the country because then, then when the Delta variant comes and if you can't actually uh, suppress it or, or, or shut it down definitively with, with a long, hard lockdown, you have at least set the conditions to do the, the kind of vaccine turbocharge that they're trying to do now. And instead what they're doing now is they're having to do all of this stuff at the same time. They're, they're telling people you should go get vaccinated while also having to deal with all these kind of both structural impediments and also all these kinds of 
I don't know, psychological impediments that exist. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's uh, unfortunately, it, it's, a, it's a government that has gotten some deserved credit for their long-term thinking, but I think some of their long-term thinking, uh, or at least some of their short-term thinking rather, has been, has been disguised by how the strategy was able to, to, to work on the less infectious uh, variant that existed in New Zealand up until now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, um, as usual, Broncos articulated what I was about to say. Um, <laughs> glad, glad we're still uh, still on the same page. It's, it's a worry. Um, yeah, but I just think that there's a real kind of tragedy in the fact that what are in reality quite contingent policy specific, situational specific decisions get seen as like the the far borderlines of possibility and like integrity gets boiled down to. Um, as Carl was saying, the real specific, the granular kind of choices that the government's making. When can, when and where can you wear masks? Um, you know, ACT was talking about uh, neighbourhoods that have 90% vaccination rates um, coming out of lockdown or something ridiculous. But like that, that is like the, you know, that's ba- basically satire in terms of the effectiveness of that. But we're sort a of hard border, there, right? A yeah. hard border around Epsom. <laughs> I mean, I think we should, but not for that reason. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's just I think I think we've really internalized the establishment media narratives about what the possibilities are and acknowledged that so all these kind of inevitabilities get thrown around. Like we are now living with Delta, living with, you know, covering all manner of sins and what that means. But, you know, two years ago, we were saying the government should be massively ramping up the amount they were spending on health because we need a much faster, more centralized way of dealing with diseases around the country. So like, that's still the possibility. Like all of these previous contingencies that the governments of every stripe haven't, uh, haven't articulated, haven't pushed for, have actively attempted to like destroy our communities and our public health system and all of the different various effects of neoliberalism kind of shattering through our, our public unity is all coming back home to roost. And that's, that's been basically across the board by the kind of powers that be have been pushing that for decades now. And this is what that looks like. Like we shouldn't be having to argue about where we're wearing masks because as Bronco said, the entire vaccine rollout should have been much faster. Our health system should have had the capacity and the resilience to be able to do that. The efficacy, the government should be linked with Hapu and Marae to a much more fine grained, intelligent extent than they are. So they shouldn't be having to come begging now without the resources to financially look after the people that we know very well they're the most efficient guardians of. There are all these parts of the community that aren't linked to different parts of the community. The entire DHB system needs to be basically rethought from the ground up. But this isn't new is what I'm saying. Like this should have all happened 15 years ago. And it's like the most obvious repercussions of what people have been saying, like experts in these sectors have been saying for years and years. So it's just, Mm. it's so unfortunate that the kind of window of possibility has been well, considering we have one of the lowest ICU capacities in the developed world, what should we do? It's like, well, no, I'm not letting you get away with that. That should never have fucking come to pass. And now that it has, how do we get out of it? Like, there's this real, like, how do we construct a ladder from the bottom of this hole instead of why are we in this hole thinking, right? It's just, it's letting a lot of people off scot-free. And we're still getting, I think even today, like deficit talk. Um, and, oh, we can't spend too much, yada, yada, yada. Um, I, I'm predicting that by the time election season comes around next year, Labour will say, oh, we can't do free dental because COVID costs too much. Or, you know, some other um, ridiculous example like that. Um, or They already are. They are. Red Robbo has already said that shit. Incredible. About dental. About a, about a bunch of other programs. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Earlier for sure. floated the potential for right that would be particularly expensive. Would cost half of what dental would cost. Yeah. And they're saying, oh, we couldn't possibly do that. We had to spend all of this by financing companies to be able to maintain their employment. Like, sure, there there are a lot of benefits about that program. Yeah, I think I mean, on, the, a, on like, the whole, it was probably a good spend. But that doesn't mean that your capacity to borrow has suddenly like quad. The threat of global finance hasn't quadrupled. It's actually like, better now. It's so much better now than it was. It's just yeah. yeah. But I think uh, some of the other things that um, were kind of implied uh, through what both uh, you and Branko were saying, Philip, around the structures that existed and, and who was being left out of the conversation um, and then going back to that, that cohesion 
um, of the team of 5 million and, and people being left out. And the move away from that over the last couple of weeks with some of the pandemic of the unvaccinated, et cetera, et cetera, and the individualization um, of COVID were further problematized by en masse all of our mainstream media deciding to start rapidly screaming about gangs <laughs> as, as being, and which we all knew. Uh, anyone who, who has dipped their toe into politics knew was, was coded language for non-whites um, and who, who we knew were the people who were least vaccinated, especially among Maori communities, who we knew had who were who less vaccinated, not just because of accessibility, but because of the way the rollout was designed, because Maori have a much lower median age than uh, the rest of the New Zealand population. And we knew that there were going to be a large, well, not a large number of people, but people in uh, parts of society that were more removed from that um, kind of communal uh, political sphere who needed more work to be done. So, and, and so the government, incredibly rightly, and, and although perhaps too late, started getting um, you know, parts of gang leadership on, on board to, to do some health outreach for them or to at least help them with that. Mm. Com- like, absolutely reasonable. Uh, and like good public health outcome and strategy. And for two weeks straight, the first question out of anyone in the gallery's mouth was, are the gangs involved? Um, or trying to nail the government for, for working with gangs. And the opposition in, in the form of ACT and National just jumped straight on board with that. You had Winston Peters get a breakfast slot to, it, it seems, at least as far as what's happened in the last day or so, uh, defame Harry Tam uh, as being involved with the Northland case. Well, you know, and in a way that it shouldn't matter anyway if, if they're doing outreach to try and totally undermine this part of the public health experience with very clear racist overtones just to try and score a cheap point. It's absolutely disgusting. The media deserve a lot of criticism for this. And I, I'm not one of these people who, uh, you know, like through the pandemic has been angry that reporters have been asking the government to like explain its decision-making or, you know, to, to reveal documents. or you know, I, they got some flack for that. I think that's completely fine. That's the, the job of the media. But when you're running headlines that, that say uh, gang leader given essential worker status to cross into Auckland, uh, and then, you know, the, the piece, and this is not the journalist's fault. This is the, uh, the editorial side of things. They've chosen a deliberately inflammatory headline that, uh, is, is, is really, if you read the piece that, that what it's actually describing is intentionally misleading, they've chosen the thing that's going to be the most damaging and, you know, really is, is, I would say, I mean, it's journalistic malpractice, not just in terms of misleading people, but also just in terms of undermining the, the broader health effort. I mean, again, as you said, Kyle, this is something that we is a completely sensible thing to do and that we should be supporting. But it, it gets turned into, remember, most people don't read past the headline. They only read the headline. And so for most people, they, they see that and they think, oh, wow, this bloody government is, is you know, given, is for some reason, give these gang members, uh, uh, you know, favored status because uh, out of political correctness, probably, or, or something. Uh, and that's what a lot of people would take away from that. And it's completely, I mean, that that is some of the shoddiest stuff that I've seen out of New Zealand media. Um, and, and, you know, again, they don't, they don't deserve criticism for everything they've done during this pandemic, but that is an absolute low. And the lack of communication, I, I think... In the government's defense, when they were questioned about those, they were very, very quick to say, no, this is the right thing to do. Um, they're not spreading the disease. Uh, I, they, they saw it as, as an offensive question to be asking. And I think uh, Ashley Bloomfield especially was pretty clear about that. But alongside you know, the pandemic of their unvaccinated messaging, whether intentional or not, even in the last couple of days after some of the comms has smoothed out, people will be making arguments on social media and in the media itself that there are people who won't follow the rules and they're spreading the disease and it's probably gang members. 
you know, or, or other marginalized communities who are who are similarly maligned by the majority of the public. Um, we've seen, you know, similar uh, supposition around sex workers, for example. And, you know, absolutely, like, nothing to do with that. No, no like, clear proof or um, evidence of this. And even if there was, it wouldn't make any difference to, to what is actually happening. It was... It was seized upon. It's been propagated on, on Facebook as a series of rumors. And you've seen a number of um, commentators who, who are well tapped by the media. So I think Jordan Williams from the Taxpayers Union was, was just mouthing off about this. And you know, these, these are pipelines directly into journalism and politics. That was why those organizations were designed. So if you have them out on social media doing this kind of thing, it's with intent and it's to try and pull the... Um, the team of five million apart at the, but well, yeah, by damaging uh, the reputations or taking aim at the most marginalized. And the fact that the media is still not aware of the role they play in that um, or reflective about that. And that Ardern and Labour aren't aware that the comms can be manipulated in that way is really frustrating to me. Well, the, the government did say that, right? They said one of the reasons that we, we you know, loosened restrictions in a way that a lot of people were confused or unhappy about was because uh, of what we we're reading in the media. And it seemed like people were getting increasingly unhappy. And so, that, I mean, that's as direct a admission as you can get that the government sort of based its decision uh, making here based on uh, what they were hearing in the press. I want to get ahead of this as well, because there's a secondary conflation argument going on now, which is, um, oh, you're blaming the media for the level change. No, we're not fucking doing that. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it is a fucking factor. Like, you can't yeah, tell yeah. me that the way the gallery operates isn't to have like this fucking hive mind down with with parliament. No, you know, we that- know very we know very well that that's what they do, right? Journalists and politicians know that all the time. The other people who have lunch together, like that's that's who influences each other's thoughts. You can't, uh, listeners, you can't see this right now, but. Kyle is like drawing strings between uh, nails in the wall and constructing an, an elaborate house-based conspiracy theory. But he's completely right that like when we say the, you know, the function of this effective media discourse is X, that doesn't mean that um, Jason Walls and Henry Cook are sitting down and like constructing this as a, as a deliberate ploy. It means that, you know, the, the propagating factor of what media sells and what media doesn't sell encourages a certain type of um, outcome based on the inputs going in and our media acts in a certain way because of incentives, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then material, the still materialism, labor, blah, blah, blah. It's still yeah. to make that decision. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the fault of it is kind of a distraction, right? Because there has, there has been this new kind of discourse from the, as uh, Liam O'Hare would say, the labor bros or like the, the flax, right? Flax and the flunkies who love labor still somehow um, saying that, oh, thanks media and John Key for fucking up the response in the last fortnight. So it's how, how incredibly one-eyed you have to be to put the majority of the decision-making power on someone who's not even in the opposition and the media. This is the first mm-hmm. like one party uh government in MMP history right these people have well, unparalleled power in quite a centralized state system who can do basically whatever they want in a country without an effective constitution like Jacinda can basically do anything we're in it we're in an autocracy <laughs> and she's decided well, to do this thing and, and I'm sorry to to have to uh once more uh uh, positively or favorably compare uh, Joe Biden to the language <laughs> of New Zealand. But this is what I'm driven to by the decision making. I mean, look at, look, Biden was a complete, uh, completely cowardly on the issue of COVID and he just completely bowed to the right before he even was close to being inaugurated. So, you know, on COVID, no, he has not shown any courage. But, you know, you look at the decision he made in Afghanistan where he got this onslaught of, of uh, negative media attention, the likes of which I have not seen uh, I, I can't think of the last time I saw something that concerted and that that uniformly hostile. The uniform over, over is a key point. Yes, yeah, yeah, very much so. But you know what? Credit to him on this on this one thing. He stuck to his guns and and he he did an incredibly unpopular thing in the short term. Um, that was our decision. Uh, uh, and you know, I, I think as you're saying, Philip. I mean, 
you think about the mandate this government has, they, they, if they had stuck to their guns and ignored the media noise and said, yeah, well, the media are going to do this because they need to create some sort of controversy. Um, they could have, they could have, you know, maybe uh, not fallen into this trap that they're in now. You know, they can't go back now. Once you make this decision, it's even worse to to correct it. Even if they realize that what they're doing is incredibly risky and, and maybe even long term disastrous, they can't do it because that would erode public trust and erode their standing of legitimacy even more. Uh, so they're stuck where they are. But you know, maybe they, as you say, there could have been an alternative if if they had just not listened to the media, because at the end of the day, who, who do most people trust in New Zealand? Is it, is it the government that's gotten them through this pandemic or is it the media that they were like attacking for even asking like <laughs> slightly scrutinizing questions uh, a year ago? I do wonder too. So like, um, well, I'm not trying to discount the role of the media. One of the things I've been thinking about for a while is about the extent to which and I mean, I have like, you know, it's not like I've got like a, you know, a signal right into like the PM's office and I've got the inside scope here. So oh, not this like is, us then. oh, no, 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 of course not. <laughs> of course not. Like, I don't have any of any of that. I'm just like this lowly person who's going to spin a yarn right now. So, so many like asterisks here about this yarn that I'm about to spin. But I have, I have been wondering for a little while about because we knew, we always knew that, well, I mean, and this even happened last year, right, that like where we saw um, community transmission happened, what it highlighted was um, how balked our healthcare system is, that we have a housing crisis, and that how incredibly interlinked those things are, you know, and with something like Delta, where it is airborne, like the feasibility for you to be able to, because I, I remember as a, for instance, like in August of last year, um, people were still uh, isolating in their homes. You know, it was like self-isolate. You have to lock yourself in a room and like all that sort of stuff. And that was a relatively feasible strategy for the most part. Like I had, um, when I was teaching last year, I had students who were like, it's really strange, like having like somebody like locked in a room. Uh, but that was sort of a scenario that they were dealing with. But we knew that that, but with Delta, not to use the phrase that they love, that Delta changed the game, yikes. But like, um, but it did in some respects in that it becomes kind of impossible for people to do that, right? Like you can't really self-isolate self at home when we have a housing crisis. Um, so I, I had this, I've been thinking for a while that no, the fact that the government would have known all of these things, right? Like that's not news to anybody. Like that was part of their election campaign was about the housing crisis and about how balked our healthcare system is. So it's not like, you know, that's not what they're getting fed through the media at all. So my thought is that um, that they knew from the get-go that if we got uh, Delta in the community, and I think um, when it when in August, I think I remember Ashley Bloomfield saying that we had had it uh, in MIQ since February. I could be wrong about that date, but we'd had it in in an MIQ for a while. Um, so that I have this, I just have this sense that they had, they knew for a long time that if it ever got into the community, it would be next to impossible to get out of the community. And at that point, it would be essentially, we're we have to just transition to an endemic strategy. And I think that they were just honestly kind of hoping that it would be later on, but it's just that they're like, okay, well, we have just had to you know, like all of these sort of future long-term plans, we just had to bring bring all of those those days forward because at some point we would have had to have become endemic, right? Because everywhere else in the world has become endemic. And unless we wanted to like, you know, never connect to the world again, um, we we would have had to have let it let it in um at some point. So I just get this feeling that the plan the plan was always this, if that makes sense. And I, that's really kind of dire and I hate that that's like my thought, but genuinely like that makes sense to me that since say 
February or whenever it started showing in, up in MIQ, that that was what was on the table, that if it came into communities that we would try and sort of stem it as much as we could. And if we could get rid of it, cool. But like we would do like a standard lockdown window and if it didn't disappear, then okay, cool. But you know, if that is the case, I mean, what an indictment on on this government and, and really just the way that, that the New Zealand political uh, spectrum uh, operates. I mean, all this stuff that that people like ourselves have been saying, that 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 other commentators have been saying, that that various public policy experts have been saying, where they've pointed out that you know, for instance, prison conditions could could lead to uh, spreads of COVID. That that the housing crisis was an issue uh, if COVID ever took hold that the healthcare sector was hanging on by a thread and that that it could fall apart anytime. I mean, I would have thought a smart thing to do if you, if you took the strategy where it's been successful, that you've been able to shut the virus out, you, you, you eradicated it within the community, you kept it out for, at this point, you know, over a year, um, that maybe you would take the time to address all of these issues. And instead they've done nothing. And it's because of, again, a thing that we keep coming back to again and again and again, which is this government's miserly attitude to spending this, this bizarrely dogmatic belief in, 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 in debt and, and keeping debt to a certain level that, that even economists don't believe in. Um, and, you know, that I think when, when, People like ourselves say this stuff. People think, well, this is, you know, this is just lefty jargon and people just, this is just what people on the left say because this is a thing that they just, they're, they're trained Apparently. to say. But no, you, we're seeing that there's actually real uh, tangible negative outcomes to doing this stuff in the middle of a crisis. I mean, we're seeing it right now. We have this um, really insightful, um, and I, I say that with the most sarcasm possible, um, comment from Luke Malpass, who's the uh, senior political editor for Stuff, where he made these claims around how people in parliament, and it's not just the opposition, uh, refer to uh, people on social media as lockdown lefties. Uh, and it was just this really dumb as fuck uh, claim to be making when we know that, you know, almost as much as 80% of people have supported harsh um, lockdown measures for 18 months. Um, it just, it just, it showed that class system of politics and media where they were totally unattached to the reality of their constituents. And I don't know if this is more charitable to the government or less than your uh, scenario, Amy, that you, that you laid out around what the plan might've been. But my feeling is more that they want to, because they knew about the housing and health issues, they wanted the lockdown to work. They were, but they were convinced by what they were hearing from their advisors, from their comms people, um, from some polling they were doing, not from the, uh, a range of the epidemiologists um, who were advising them, who immediately came out and to contradict them, we, we, we've got to keep in mind. They believed that compliance was going to drop. Um, and so that's why they moved to level three. And I think they've outlined that as well. And that's part of why the comms fell off because there was this immediate pushback on social media. Both the media and politicians were having to scramble to try and figure out and to try and justify what they were doing as somehow being correct. You had all that, that comms around gangs, around... Um, like. Uh, I'd be really interested to see just how many people were saying compliance was going to fall yeah, because it, that, it felt overwhelming. And, but that, we know that it wasn't. That would be a really interesting um, kind of meta-analysis to run at some point, not right now because it's, that would be far too depressing. But um, <laughs> like I think the Luke Malpass quote is really apposite, but not for the reason he thinks because... <laughs> like, Nothing is for the reason he thinks. It's Luke Malpass. He's far right. Um, people, yeah, people forget that he used to work for the New Zealand Initiative and stuff. Well, for Business um, Roundtable, initially yeah, yeah, before, setting up the New Zealand Initiative and then yeah. for the Australian Finance RAG. Yeah, he's, yeah. Pretty, he's pretty extreme. Um, but like, I think the key part of his phrase isn't the kind of um, subversive nudge, nudge, wink, wink of the, um, the MPs talking about lockdown lefties on not just in the opposition. That's not the key phrase. It's that it's 
people people in parliament are talking about lockdown lefties like that's the that's the class distinction right it's not the fact that there are people in the labor party who are i don't know begrudgingly on side with people who've maintained the same public spending as we've had since rogenomics but like of course of course they think that because they're not on side with public opinion like all the public opinion polls as you said sort of have had this uh, marginal decrease in public support but uh, national support of national voters were still supporting the government's uh, general approach to COVID at over 60%. Yep. Um, and that's more recently after a drop from high 70s. So, I mean, that's not the distinction. Like the distinction is people in parliament and uh, gallery journalists and their advisors and their comms teams versus humans uh in new zealand who are massively on any side of the partic- of the political spectrum on board with this project the elimination as a kind of goal well, and taking some hard steps to get there the key piece of data for me as well has been a, an analysis that david hood has done um and he he'd say something like oh it's not really an analysis it's just the numbers i've put up shut um, up david hood <laughs> you don't your numbers, care your numbers great. are great yeah um but it was using google and apple uh movement data um and showing that the movement data was essentially the same as level four lockdown last year. So by and large, people were sticking to the rules. There, there wasn't um, this issue with compliance that people were, were saying was occurring. It just felt, seeing that data and seeing what's happened in the media, it felt like anecdotal evidence was just being given far more weight than it had until previously. So some of the messaging around anecdotal data um, and anecdotal like escapes of Delta um, last year were around like, oh yeah, so it was caught here because it got through this and this and this. And in fact, some of those edge cases show that the system is by and large working, which we haven't heard during this lockdown, but is still ostensibly the case. Um, I think they are sticking at level three now because of what uh, Bronco said. Um, <laughs> if they go back now and they try and yo-yo back and forth, they're going to be fucked. Um, but what we have seen in the last week is stronger messaging about us being a strong level three and belief that New Zealanders will continue to do the right thing and stick to what they believe is right. Um, like, I'm, a, I'm a strong 5'11". I'm not quite, a, <laughs> I'm not quite six feet. I'm, I'm a strong 5'11". <laughs> um, I love that. But I, I, think, I think we're on the right track. I think by... We're talking before the cast, like there's a Vaxathon coming up now. Um, I want to take full responsibility for that. Um, I was, <laughs> yeah, didn't you hang on? Didn't you predict this months I, ago? I, oh, well, I said it two weeks ago, um, almost to the day, um, which is about oh, as long I don't as mean we... seriously, I mean, uh, jokingly on a podcast ages ago. Uh, Were you talking about a Vaxathon? I, I seriously talked about it two weeks ago. <laughs> I said they should, they should do this and they should have their like a donation style uh chart to show how many people had vexed. That's the trajectory of uh, history. It's first as fuss and then as tragedy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, now they're going ahead with it. But I think even though it's like fucking dumb, um, I'll be the first to admit that, it's also like hilarious and great. Um, And the amount, the the level to which people just got on board with it in the last, I think it was announced, yeah, at the 1 p.m., so four hours ago. And people are just rabid about it. People are like... There is both overwhelming um, positive support for it and overwhelmingly people cringing at it. And I think that can only be for the best. Uh, and it, it brings New Zealand together generationally in a way that it understands, um, which was the thing that wasn't occurring. Um, I, I do, I do want to say that I think this isn't enough. I think this is a really good way to get the comms uh, strategy back online um, and to steady the ship in, in that sense. But it really does need to come. And, and it looks like it is coming. It looks like maybe we're going to see some more funding for Māori health authorities, for example. Um, mm. And we've seen Rawiri Jansen in the news more, like pushing that narrative, which is amazing. Good, good work, doctor. Um, so I, I think that stuff's going to come alongside it. But, you know, like we, we know marginalised communities uh, are not being reached. A telethon's not going to reach them either, uh, by mm. and large. So... Super Saturday is happening as well, which is amazing. You know, there's there's just a huge range of different stuff happening. That's going to, they're trying to push us to ninety percent vaccination. Um, I hope that they have a clear idea about where each of those pins falls. 
um, because unless we get everyone on board, then it, it, it ends up meaningless. You still end up with like, um, you know, between 10 and 1% of the population who, who we haven't reached. I mean, New Zealand in some ways is in a good position in a sense of being able to look at what has been done everywhere else in the world to, to get to this point and, and sort of copy that. And yeah, I mean, they should, they should throw everything at the wall and see what sticks because at the end of the day, all this stuff, even if it adds a percentage, half a percentage, all of that adds up. And I mean, really, they should be going into communities. There should be events. Well, I don't. They should just be holding week. public events. Yeah. And then, and then, hey, by the way, if you want to come here, here's a here's a, a a tent where you can get vaccinated. You can talk to a doctor. You can ask any question, assuage any concerns you have. Bob's your uncle. You do that. You're fine. Uh, they, that should be happening all over the place. I mean, in some places, I mean, in in the US, they've gone door to door. Mm-hmm. Not They're talking like about a, that now. Right. Yeah. Not an insane totalitarian way, but just as a, you know, you're maybe you're elderly, maybe you're someone with, with limited mobility and uh, maybe you just haven't been able to get to a, a, a site to get vaccinated. And now we're going to come to you and, and do the service for you. That That's, I think, a problem. There's so many I mean, different we things. Run, we run the census, like going door to door shouldn't mm. be something that's impossible to conceive of on a public health yeah. level. Right. But we could have done this a year ago. Right. We've talked about all this mm. stuff before. But it's just like the lack of imagination, right? Throw throw hundreds of millions of dollars at some public health initiatives. That's kind of like background why I'm excited by them going with a vaxathon because it's just batshit. <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, wow, maybe maybe they're really just going to start coming out with some bizarre shit now. And I, I, I would love to see that. Like just just throw everything at the wall, as you say. Hire David Lynch to, the, to, to design <laughs> your uh, <laughs> vaccination role. <laughs> You know, one other thing I want to just mention, you know, we talked about some of the government's failures and and some of the government's like uh, it's just gestures towards centrism. Uh, It's kind of performative gestures that ultimately we see now have have served it and the country worse. I think one thing that that shouldn't go unmentioned is immigration. Um, Immigration policy is it's it's a moral question. It's an ethical question, of course. But there's also a practical element to it. And we have, at this point, we've had months and months of coverage of, you know, in mainstream news as well, of healthcare workers who haven't been able to get their kids through or their husbands or their wives, their families through, uh, and who have been basically squeezed out of the country out of what appears to be, for all intents and purposes, a a deliberate uh, attempt to just push people out of the country. Uh, people that are considered unwanted and it's it's biting us in the ass right now because um i mean new zealand's been pretty chronically understaffed in terms of its healthcare infrastructure for a long time and this has only made it worse and i mean the the message that's sent to any overseas healthcare workers is even worse because you know uh, there's no doubt that some of the people who have left the country they talk to their friends and family and, and maybe previous colleagues or people that, that maybe work in the same industries and, and they've also heard the, the kind of treatment that, that's happened. Maybe they're not as willing to, to come to this country and yet that is exactly what, what should be happening. We should be getting more healthcare workers but because of this bizarre, absolutely nonsensical immigration policy that, that's been going on over the last year, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it weakens the overall uh, healthcare sector um, at, a, at a point where it's already very vulnerable. Um, so I think we should we should think about that, and we should think about the fact that you know again this is an area that people like ourselves have been criticizing government for for a long time. Um, it might sound like a boutique issue, but again, it's one thing that has unforeseen reverberations for everyone, whether or not you are an affected person by the immigration policy or not. It does affect you in ways that maybe you don't realize until something happens to make you realize. Right, we're just about coming to time. Amy, did you have any final uh, points you wanted to add? Um, no, not really. I think, like, I don't know. The other thing that I've been thinking too about, like, is just, um, I think to your point about, like, sort of the the vaxathons and that kind of thing. I think while they might be sort of like bad shit, um, I think they're also like, you know, we did a lot of things like over the last sort of eighteen months. Um, that were kind of creative or just sort of in like, you know, brought some, brought some sort of like 
levity to this kind of harsh situation. Like I keep thinking about like that, um, that, a music clip that Ashley Bloomfield con- contributed to for uh, was it like R&V or whatever last yeah. year um and like like you know I remember that happening or you know just like those kinds of things just I think help you know help cohesion and help sort of solidarity and I think one of the problems that we've had with our vaccination rollout has been this real focus on sort of like it's an individual measure that you individual citizen can do, which is always going to erode that sense of team because it's just going to make people think like, you know, well, I've got vaccinated and like, you know, but I'm still in like, you know, lockdown and like these unvaccinated people, you know, it's no, you're no longer thinking about it in terms of your community. You're thinking about people who are like slow, like ruining it for the rest of us, that kind of vibe. And like the way that we've, you know, I was, I thought it was really interesting um, yesterday about like sort of individuals need to go and get vaccinated. And it's like, just this really kind of individualized language around that. And I think that, you know, I think part of some of these initiatives will be helpful perhaps in terms of getting that sense of solidarity back and getting people back on that. Okay. We are like, like a collective as well, because as soon as you start like individualizing it and making it this sort of blame game or individual problem or whatever, people are just going to be like every man for himself kind of, you know, and that's not really what you want in like an epidemic response. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that sounds like more like the opening for like a bad Netflix zombie movie, you know, like that just sort of like everybody's running for the ferry for the South Island, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, pe- people aren't going to get vaccinated just because you yell at them or berate them. And yeah. if the main goal is vaccination, okay, well, that's not going to work. So you gotta, you got to find something else. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today, uh, Dr. Amy Simpson. Anytime, man. Yeah. Free as a bird at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you've enjoyed listening, um, give, us a, give us a retweet, give us a share, uh, let people know about us. We'll catch you all next time. See you around. Keeping your glass half full The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is a lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation You hate nationalism You don't hate your nation Oh